title was called Stars Are the Windows of Heaven. It was like one of those very songs that, are, you know, for a kid to sing. And uh, stars, let's see, stars are the windows of heaven where angels peek through. Up in the sky, they keep an eye on kids like me and you. You get it? And clear of the closing doors, please. What up, someone up? Grind and pivot, Queens, New York. Pivotal moments that changed everything. Today, for me, this is exciting. I got to tell you, I was a 10-year-old, 11-year-old in New York, Queens, New York. And when you heard this person on the radio, you started bopping, you started snapping your fingers. And I have her here. And... I'm going to say she would be straight out of Detroit, Michigan. You'll never know that. The grand dame of R&B with a lot of jazz. And once again, I'm going to say it. Since you've been gone, all that's left is a band of gold. We got Frida Payne in the house. <laughs> Frida, how are you? So glad you look fantastic. How are you? Thank you. I'm fine. I'm fine, Louie. I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. So happy we were able to put this together. I got goosebumps bringing back. Uh, I always I love that song. I mean, I love love all your stuff, but obviously that one stands out because of uh, what was going on back then. How are you making out uh, out there? You're out in California. Where are you? you're on the West? Yeah, Coast? I'm in I'm in the valley. I'm in Encino, Encino, uh, California, and it's nice and warm here and uh, you know, the weather's great and I've been okay. I've been doing okay. I've been, of course, I, you know, made it all through the pandemic and I've been vaccinated. Thank yep. you very much. Good. Thank you. And, Me too. Uh, Me too. Okay. And I'm just, you know, looking forward to, you know, this, our, let's say the country and, and, and not only just us, hopefully the world opening up because we, it's over a year now. I remember I remember uh, it was back in last year in March and I, uh, I was, I had a flight. I, I had a gig in, in the outside of Atlanta and in, in Decatur, Georgia. And I did a concert there and, and I flew back on, I think it was the 14th or the, yeah, it was the 14th of March. It was yeah, right Sunday. around the time. That was it right there. Yeah. And I remember it because it was like, I, the gig was on a, on the 13th, I believe. Yeah. The 13th and the next day, I was scheduled to fly back on an evening flight and I was able to go to my friend, Candy Staten, her birthday celebration, because mm. she lives in outside of Atlanta. And I went to her, her play, her house outside of Atlanta to celebrate her birthday. And then they drove me to the airport and I flew back home. And right after that, everything shut down. Yeah. Lockdown. Absolutely right. Yeah. It's mm. been quite, quite an eventful year. Uh, mm -hmm. In this in this in this country and in this world, no, no doubt. Well, I'm glad to see that you're, you're doing well. Uh, you know, you're I read a little bit about you over the years and, um, you know, R&B is a big thing for you that I knew, obviously. But mm -hmm. I what I really didn't know, and maybe you could paint a little picture of us, you know, you were heavily influenced by jazz, correct? Oh, yeah, I was. Uh from the age of 12, 
which is unusual because most kids are kind of like into the like the R&B or the pop, you know, whatever. And uh, I liked R&B at the time, but R&B at when I was 12 hadn't really quite developed to the point where it was really, really going strong. And what I mean, it got better once Motown took on right. and uh, and they and they started producing some really good music. So, um, but I was 12 years old, I remember, and, and I remember I had a radio in my room and the radio was just like right above my head, you know, uh, uh, I had a twin bed and the radio was like on a little shelf. And I would, late at night when I would go to bed, I would turn on the radio and I would listen to a certain station um, because the pop stations, I didn't, I, what the music wasn't, wasn't thrilling me. So I would turn on this other station that, they played a lot of jazz vocalists. They had Chet Baker. One of my like, all-time favorites. All-time yeah. favorites. Oh, really? Chet oh, Baker. Chet Baker. Like Julie, yeah, oh. Julie London, uh, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, <laughs> uh, Carmen McRae, some right. Billie Holiday. Sarah uh, Vaughan. Chris, Chris Connor. Oh, Chris Connor. Sarah right. Vaughan. Right. You know, Dizzy Gillespie and oh, people boy. like that. Oh, and I fell in love. I, I discovered Miles Davis. I think when I was 13 and I got this, I bought this album. It was called sketches of Spain. And I start playing that album and I was just over the moon. I said, Oh my God, it just opened up my brain. <laughs> right. Right. When did it, you start? It was so um, romantic. It was like, ah, great. When did you start singing? When did you get the bug? Um, Early on, I got, the, I got no, I, I, I wasn't singing at all until I, I think I was like 12 or 13. No, I was 12. My music teacher, I started taking piano lessons at an early age. My mother started me playing, taking lessons when I was like six. And I took piano lessons, you know, like for about maybe seven years, right. as long as long with my sister as well. We both had lessons. And uh, I remember it was, I was 12 and and my piano teacher, her name was Ruth Ann, Mrs. Ruth Ann Johnson. And she said, uh, we're getting ready to put together our next piano recital because there was a recital every year. And she said, I want to see if your voice is good enough to sing in a group that, I, that I'm putting together of six people. And so I sang for her and she said, oh, Frida, you're more than good enough. I want you to do a solo. Wow. So I did okay. a solo. Right. And I also sang in the group. And, uh, and, uh, after that, I remember my mother's friends started to gather around and they were amazed. They said, Oh, we didn't know Frida could sing like that. We thought it was just Sherry because Sherry, my sister, she was the one that was the outgoing one. She was the entertainer. She was the gregarious, like, I'm not, I'm not shy kind right, of person. Right, right. I was the shy person. It was my shyness that held me back. So, I wouldn't sing for anybody, you know, and, you know, for that occasion, when she asked me to sing, I did it. And from that point on, and then for some reason, I guess it gave me a lot of confidence because then I, then I started to enter, enter talent contest and I was winning. And then I got to, to enter a contest that was on TV in Detroit. Really? And yeah. And it was channel seven. And or was it Channel Four? But anyway, no, it was WXYZ, WXYZ in Detroit, Channel Seven. Right. 
and it was called the Ed McKenzie's Dance Hour. That's very cool. That's very cool. That was Detroit. That was Detroit's version of the Dick Clark American American Bandstand. Of course. Okay. And it was the same kind of format with the teenagers dancing to the latest, you know, records that were really, you know, getting all the airplay. And uh, the only difference is they featured um, talent contest that consisted of just four acts. It would be four every week, four acts, and that was it. So I auditioned for that, and they chose me. And so I, I um, was on the show, and I won. And then six months later, they called me back t- to appear on the show again. I won the second time. So I w- won a trophy and a record player. <laughs> tr- wow. No kidding. But I had two record okay. players and two trophies. <laughs> What were some of the song? What were some of the songs you were singing or uh, uh, well, performing? I sang, what, what did you you remember? Yeah, you mean the song that I sang at the recital was called "Stars Are the Windows of Heaven." It was like one of those very songs that are you know for a kid to sing, and uh, stars. Let's see, stars are the windows of heaven where angels peek through. Up in the sky, they keep an eye on kids like me and you. You get it? Got it. Got it. (laughs) So, and then after that, uh, I think I won the contest. There were two different songs I won. I was, I won the contest. I think the first time I won it by singing Too Young to Go Steady. And how I came upon that song, Nat King Cole had recorded that song. Right. So I copied the Nat King Cole version too young to go steady and then the second time when i went on i did that old black magic oh that's great and guess who was the the uh they had a guest like a a professional entertainer whoever uh, a headliner who was headlining at at a local uh, supper club in detroit and that person was sammy davis jr you gotta be kidding you're kidding i'm not and wow and he and i after the show was over and i had won he took a picture with me. Oh my I gosh. still have that picture. I have an eight by 10 black and white glossy of Sammy Davis Jr. And I standing together and I'm holding my trophy. <laughs> I mean, we might have to stop the interview right there. I don't know how much better it can get, you know? Yeah. And it just went on from there. You know, I start singing on the radio. I got uh, audition for this program called Don Large's Make Way for Youth. And that was on station WJR that was located on top of the, in the penthouse of the Fisher building in Detroit. And so I did that for three years and uh, it was a choral group and Don Large would pick often pick me out, select me to do solos a lot. And that helped a lot. So that's yeah, amazing. There's a lot of history that. there. So yeah. um, who, you know, who was helping you get to the plate where, you know, your family was helping you as you were going around, who got you to these places, you know, who you met a lot, you were meeting a lot of people at that time for a young girl. Yeah. Right. What was yeah, the, well, what my was mother, like? my your mom mother and you? my dad, my mm-hmm. mother would drive me to all my work. Cause at the Fisher bling, I had, I could, that was not walking distance. Uh, my mother would drive me to my rehearsals twice a week. And then she'd drive me to the show on Saturday and or my father whoever was available at the time they supported me yeah yeah they i took ballet class she always had to drive sherry and i to the ballet class and then pick us up or sometimes she'd wait till the class was over with but 
Yeah, my mother was my staunch, my number one supporter, and my and my dad. He was my stepdad. He was my right. my so number both one. Were really, that, that's beautiful. So you had this stability. That's a, that's a, that's a that's I a had that. Thing. I had that. Yeah. You uh you attended the the um the Detroit Institute of Musical Arts, correct? Yeah, but that was only it was less than a year. I did that, and then my mother found this lady. Uh, Ruth Ann Johnson, who I mentioned before, right, the piano, right, and uh, yeah, she right. would come to our house, and she would give uh, piano lessons to me and my sister. What Sharon. were you? What was she? What were you? I mean, uh, my dad was a piano, was an arranger, so and I started playing early too. So, oh. what what did you learn? What were you learning early on? What uh, you know? Was it scales and 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 also? Yeah, you know, like we played out a book of Matthews, right? Uh, you know, different books like that, the piano. Matthew Schumer. So Schumer, right? Okay, right. Alfred, yeah, you know Alfred, I mean. Bach, right? Alfred, you know, yeah, like yeah. the you know Bach you know, inventions, the Bach inventions, and stuff like that. Yeah, classical. yeah, you know those those scales that uh, sort of like I I was I have to tell you this I wasn't meant to be a pianist. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> but you got I learned. It. But because of that, it enabled me. I started like going to the music store downtown, and when I had to buy my music books for my piano lessons, I started looking at the other books and they, there was Gershwin, you know, Ira, Lee and Ira Gershwin. And then there was like Rogers and Hart. So I bought my first uh, secular music book and that was the Rogers and Hart song book. Ah, you know, okay, I bought right, that. Right. So and you got all got those standards, Cole, the show, so all those show standards, tunes. Cole Porter. I got a Cole yeah. Porter song book. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I started learning some of those standards. Yeah, That's those how songs I are amazing, yeah. right? I mean, those songs, you know, it's interesting too. When we go back to talking about Chet Baker, I mean, like, let's get lost. Um, let's get and, lost, lost oh, in each other's Oh, arms. I love that. Let's I mean, lost. it's, you know, I fall I mean, they in call, love what they call too them the easily. Angel. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I fall in love too fast. Yeah, exactly. I fall in love too incredibly hard for a love to last. My heart should be well schooled because <laughs> I've been fooled in the past. I fall in love too, too easily. I fall in love, love too, too fast. fast. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Chet Baker, uh, great. Uh, probably one of the more underrated uh, talents oh, from yeah. back in there. But he had some issues, obviously. Oh, so, we hear that. We heard that. And he also wasn't a bad trumpet player. No, I was going to say, forget about vocally. The guy could play. He could definitely, he, had, yeah. he definitely had chops. So yeah. you got, when did you leave? Detroit to go now am I skipping around because I know you went to you came to New York in like 63 62 63 61 or 62 I think it was around 62 right what how did you take us to that pivotal moment what happened you know you getting to New York and wanting to go to New York what was the story the story is when I was 14 I had been courted by Barry Gordy Jr who was at that time scouting and looking for young people who, you know, who, who he could work with. And um, he started hearing about me because of the singing around Detroit and winning talent contest and all yeah, that. Stuff. The whole scene, right? Yeah. So he oh, wrote boy. songs for me. He wrote, he started writing some songs. He wrote four songs just for me. And I was taking ballet and Afro-Cuban and he would sometimes come and watch me dance. He would come to my class, dance class and stand there, watch me dance. <laughs> And um, so we recorded the four songs at United Sound, 
which was the premier recording studio in all of Detroit. It was located on West Grand Boulevard, the same street where Hitsville is located. I was going right to say, now. exactly. Hey, you're getting everybody out there listening. You're getting a history lesson right this now. This is history, baby. And so um, what happened was Barry wanted to manage me. And what, what happened was my mother, he and my mother, would uh, they, they weren't on the same page. I mean, he was wanting a certain thing, a certain percentage and this and that. And my mother was like, like going back at him and negotiating with him. And he wasn't willing to negotiate. And I, I think he kept that standard even after he formed Motown. Uh, you would have to his way well, off his his way or no way. It was well known that you could you had to sign your contract as is. It was either his way or no way, and that wasn't how I felt. I didn't feel that was fair. You know, I really didn't think it was fair, and so you know we remain friends to this day. There's never you know we're like. They consider me over, you know, he family, right? Me they consider family, you family, yeah. of course. Absolutely. It's just that you have different ways. And so by the time I turned 18, uh, and I, oh, by the way, by the time I went, let's say I started doing commercials when right. I was 16, I was, I still was busy as heck. You know, I was in high school and I was busy as heck. You know, I was always doing something, you know, the TV, the radio show, Make Way for You. So when I was 17, I got to audition for Duke Ellington. Oh, boy. And he wanted me. What was that to like? Come okay. What happened was uh, his son, whose name is Mercer Merce, Ellington. Correct. He's uh -huh. Mercer. Mercer, um, we had a neighbor <clears throat> and he was a, a very prominent attorney in Detroit. His name was Alan Early Jr. And it was Alan Early was at a uh, cocktail party where he met Mercer. And Mercer, uh, he started telling Mercer about me. And so Mercer said, and then he, he got Mercer to come to, to my house so he could hear me sing. Really? So Mercer did that. He came to my house Crazy. and I sang for him. And he said, oh my God, he says, you're pretty good. He says, I want my dad to hear you. <laughs> so he said, the band is at, was actually, the reason why Mercer was in town is that the band was playing in Detroit at a theater. I think it was called the Riviera Theater. And so um, uh, he called his dad and Duke agreed to hear me sing. So uh, we, we drove down to the Gotham Hotel. That's where the Duke and the band was playing. I mean, was, they were staying there. And uh, I I sang for Duke. He played some songs. So Duke was songs. Duke Duke was playing. Duke played piano, and he you played sang. for Duke? me while I sang. Oh, come on, in I his suite, they had a piano in his suite. Right, of course. And I sang for Duke Ellington alone in his suite. And wow, he said, wow. "Frida, you he said you remind me of Lena Horne." Ooh. And he says, "I want to hear you sing with my band." <laughs> and so I said. He said, the only problem is that we're leaving for uh, Pittsburgh in the morning. And he said, if there's any way you can have your parents or someone drive yeah. you to Pittsburgh, I would love to bring you up 
and sing with the band. So you what'd know, you do? You went home. What? Tell me, tell me this. Tell me, let's talk. Tell us the conversation in, in when you got home with your moms. <laughs> well, yeah, I told them. And, <laughs> I'm and going. Mother, and it was my mother. It was my mother. It was me, my mother. Yeah. And uh, I had a mentor at the time who was like a, my, a pianist. And he played for me a lot. And we and we did work in some little little clubs in Detroit sure. <laughs> undercover, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean, because mm -hmm. I was underage. Yeah, of course. And his name was Mac Ferguson. And uh, mm. and so it was my mother drove. Mac Ferguson went and my sister Sherry went along and we drove to Pittsburgh. All right. And so. No, Sherry didn't go on that trip. She went on another trip. She went on another. She didn't go on that. It was just Mac Ferguson and my mother and I. And we drove to Pittsburgh and um, Duke brought me up on this, you know, on the bandstand. And I sang. I was like, wow. I think I did two songs. Uh, I got it bad and that ain't good. I moved in to go. And uh, after that. Oh, and I got to meet Billy Strayhorn. I was going to open Jesus. He was there. He was there. Uh, Duke introduced me to Billy Strayhorn. So you're talking royalty here. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't. You know, now when I think of now, when I talk about it, it's like I did that. Yeah, it's surreal, right? It's got to be surreal. I did yeah. that, you know. Right. And Duke wanted me. He wanted me to hire me as a band singer for 10 years. He sent a contract to that effect. And it was for 10 years and with the escalating pay scale. So my mother said, Mr. Ellington, I see here, like what if in like four years from now or five years from now, you've made my daughter a star and she can command, let's say thousands of dollars away over what you're offering here for her appearances. Would you adjust her salary? He said, no. Really? Yeah. So we did go. I, you know, it was back and forth, back, back and forth, back and forth. So so that never materialized. And then my mother would have had to go on the road with me because, I mean, these are all these old guys. And uh, honey, I was 17, but I looked like a grown woman. Yeah. What was it like? So let's yeah, give us a <laughs> give us a little uh, give us a little juice. Who knows juice. what Duke was thinking? I'm telling I remember you. Duke's grandson, Paul Ellington, once said to me, this was like about. 10 years, about 15 years ago, he says, you know what? I wonder what my grandpa was really thinking. Oh, geez. Wow. wow. <laughs> I said, you got a dirty mind, Paul. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, maybe you'll have to give us a little juice, you know, what it was like on the road. I mean, I. I yeah, well, you know, stuff you like know, that. You know, Yeah, right. but the girl singers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. who knows? Right. So, um. Talk about, let's go back. So when you did get to New York, what, 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 what was going down in New York when you got to New York? Well, when I got to New York, it was sort of like, I was just a, like a fish out of water. And I was like, I had a roommate, you know, cause at first I was going to stay at the YWCA. Mm -hmm. And then I met this girl who her name, her name is Beverly Davenport. And I don't, I have not been in touch with her in literally decades I don't even know if she's Bev, if you're listening and if somebody knows Beverly Davenport, shout out Davenport, here. Beverly, I'm by the way, I'm writing, I'm writing my book. It's just about almost finished. And of course, my story in detail is in there. Great. And, and I talk about her as well. And uh it was like it was weird. I mean, it was it was kind of fun, but at the same time, it was kind of it could have been dangerous because you're in New York. I'm a young girl. Sure. Uh, I don't have, I'm not chaperoned. 
but I just had my own, you know, common sense. And sometimes, you know, when you're young, you are dumb. Yeah, of course, okay. of course, of course, of course. But you get, you know, and, things fall a certain way too. If you have, yeah, a, you, you know, but half she a brain was a lovely. She, by the way, she was a lovely person, a very, very uh, intelligent, you know, well, kind of well kept person. She worked for. She was a Detroiter. And she had moved to New York. But she was not a and, musician. She was not a musician. No, you know what I'm saying? She, no okay. she wasn't really. You know, she was working for Pacific Bell. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, and then what happened was my, my parents actually supported me while I was in New York, you know, so that's what happened. And then I kind of, you know, started going, going out and hanging out. I went to this club downtown uh, in the 40s in uh, Manhattan, and it was called the Champagne Colony. And it was like a piano bar, mm-hmm. you know, you go downstairs and it was kind of dark. And, and I, I met a lot of people in the business. Johnny Nash would hang out there. Okay. I could see clearly Johnny Nash, there. right? Yeah, Johnny Nash, uh, Luther Dixon, mm-hmm. who's uh, depict who was depicted in a Broadway musical uh, a few years ago about, it was all about Scepter records and, uh, the lady who who ran it, who was the president of the company, who owned the company, uh, Florence Greenberg, and they portrayed Luther Dixon, who was a songwriter and producer, who was on the staff there as well. I met him and other people. There's probably a few other people I met, and and uh, and from there I kind of like, you know, start people, and I would sing. And then people would like, you know, say, oh, wow, you sound good. You know, like, why don't you work this club or audition for this club or whatever. And I eventually met a man by the name of Carl Carruthers who walked me into GAC, the agency, the booking agency, GAC. And uh, he introduced me to Sidney Bernstein, Sid Bernstein. Sid so Sid Bernstein, the Sid Bernstein, the man who brought the Beatles, the Beatles, right, Beatles exactly. over, who booked mm-hmm. them first mm-hmm. and brought them over to the U.S. Right. And Sidney became my first agent. Ah. And then it was through Sidney Bernstein that he got me um, to audition to get a to get a contract with ABC Paramount. Gotcha. So I got my first record deal at the age of 19 with abc paramount right now you were and also were you were gigging you were gigging on on the regular as well were you gigging in clubs on the regular uh off and on yeah and oh on. yeah i worked uptown i worked um the baby grand that was up in harlem uptown mm-hmm. along with nipsey russell who was the in-house comedian right and uh some uh, some places a couple of places down in the village they call what do they call it soho now sure but it was just back then it was just called the village. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know? It was vibrant, vibrant time. Absolutely. Back and then. also I worked in Atlantic City with uh, Larry Steele, Smart Affairs. I worked in, in Atlantic City in the summer during the summer months. Uh, they booked me a lot. And that but through those bookings, uh, I got to work with Marvin Gaye. Oh, boy. Great. I got to work with Sam Cooke. And uh, a few people like that. Right. Old and then giants. I started, I started, uh, I got, a, I, uh, I uh, obtained a manager. I got, I met him because I was booked at a club in Brooklyn called the Elegante. <laughs> and it was a supper club. 
a supper club. And the owner was a guy by the name of Joe Scandori. And Joe Scandori wound up managing me. And because of him, I got to get booked a lot on the Johnny Carson Tonight Show. That's right. I know you were. Absolutely. What was that like? Was it, How exciting was that? Oh, God, it was very exciting. I would tell my, I would call my mother and say, oh, I'm booked. I'm booked the next week. I got this on this day. My mother would call everybody, everybody in Detroit. Absolutely. <laughs> so Absolutely. my son's, my daughter's doing the Tonight Show. And then like, uh, this was in 1967, I got to, um, I wound up doing a broad, being on a Broadway show on Broadway. And that was Hallelujah Baby. And I was Leslie Uggams' understudy. And I was the only understudy to actually go on and do the full show. And I did that six times. Wow. Amazing. So I got to do a lead role, a lead starring role on Broadway in a hit Broadway musical called Hallelujah Baby. Right. So So I got that under my belt. Yeah. All it's painting some canvas. That is some canvas. So let's skip up to um, 69, 70. Um, What's going on? How did the whole band of gold thing evolve? Take us into the beginning of how the process was. uh, That was written by uh, Dozier and Holland, right? That that song was. It was. It was because here's the thing. If you saw the record, it would say Ron Dunbar and Edith Wayne. Or if you saw the sheet music, Ron Dunbar, Edith Wayne but they were not the writers. Right. You see, at the time, Holland Dozier and Holland were in a lawsuit, a raging lawsuit with Motown. Mot- Correct. They sued Motown, and then Motown countersued them back. So one of the stipulations was that they were not allowed to do any writing during that period until the lawsuit was settled. And so they, they reused Ronald Dunbar, who was uh, who worked for Holland Dozier and Holland, but he's and he's the one that actually you know like rehearsed me on the song, and uh, Edith Wayne was was a, an assumed name for another a lady by the name of Vernell, and uh, <laughs> that's what happened there. That's very that's so, very cool. Yeah, so, so you, that's what happened there. So yeah. they brought you the so they so yeah they brought you the song. Where where did it take 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 us? Where did it take place? So give us a little bit of. Of like kind of the background of like you, you, you. They said I got a song for you. How how did it? Someone playing on the piano? Was it just a verse? Was it chorus? Well, well no. What, here's what, what happened. Okay, it was. Uh, I remember Ron Dunbar used to pick me up from uh, my parents' home, and because uh, I because when I was see I was living in Detroit. I mean I was living in New York, so I had to be. They had to like I had to, or they flew me back home to Detroit. And uh, so I'd stay at my parents. Of course. And so Dunbar would come and pick me up from the house and we'd go to Eddie Holland's apartment. He had a couple of apartments, maybe two or three. And he would take me there and it would just be the two of us. And the first time I heard it, it was a track. It was the whole, the track. It was the track. Oh, it was already recorded. The track was. It was already pre-recorded. It had been right. pre-recorded. Well, it had, did it have a dummy vocal over it? It had like a guide vocal or or no? No, vocal? there was no dive vocal on it. It was he it was the track, and he showed me the lyrics, and oh. I said, "Oh, the track is nice. I like this. The track is great." And he said, "Now, now let's go over. Here's where you come in here. Boom, 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 boom." And then I come in, and then I started. 
you know, learning. And then when I got when I got to the part, the lyric that said, but that night on our honeymoon, we stayed in separate rooms. I said, what the heck is this? <laughs> he said, well, that's the that's the lyric. You have to learn it. I said, but this song is for somebody who's like 15 or 16 years old. Yeah, this ain't happening. Get married right, on their right. wedding night. And stays and, in separate. And not, right, right. And not well, you know, like have a problem like this. I said, this is not a song. This is not a song for me. Right. I'm a grown woman. <laughs> I'm a grown, mature woman. I love it. He said, he said, Frida, you don't have to like it. Just, Just sing, sing it. it. Just sing, of course. Of course. And I said, okay. Right. Just like that. I said, okay. Amazing. That's what I was there for. I, I was there. I went with them and signed with Invictus because I was looking to get a hit. And I didn't care if it was a pop hit or R&B hit. I wanted, I was at in that mode of, of doing something to escalate my career. Career, exactly. So Lord yeah. knows they had, Lord knows they had some hits. Uh, yeah. Oh God, they had, right. they were so on a roll. When I mean, you heard that, yeah, I didn't forget it. I'll oh, forget it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you could do a whole thing on them. So when you heard it, did you, did you know, did you feel yourself like, this is, this is, this is pretty good. Did you know? You know oh, what, it was what? good. I thought they were all good. It was like, okay, this is a good song. It's all, it's all right. You know? And mm -hmm. then I said, oh, the other ones I rehearsed, like the Unhooked Generation, I, they all, you know, Unhooked Generation was the first single they put out because they thought that was going to be the one. Sure. Sure. But nada, it wasn't. Right. And what was so, then? and so after, Unhooked Generation came out and didn't stick. The following year, 1970, they released Band of Gold. I think, I believe it was in February. And it started to slowly creep up. Right. Slowly. How, can you tell us how it was recorded, how the recording went? Can you talk, talk about the recording? I mean, yeah, anything was, interesting like about the, the session, about even about the session. And even, do you remember who played on the session? Your memory? Oh, well, see, I wasn't there when they, like you say. So you just, so the track was already I done and you just laid the vocal and you just laid the vocal. Yeah, that's it. When we walked, when I, when they brought me into the studio, it was just me, Eddie Holland, oh, Brian okay. and Lamont. Oh, so they produced. Okay. So and Dunbar was there too, but like, you know, they would right. be in this, in like in the sound, in the, the control room and I'd be in the vocal booth. Right. Right. So you just laid down. Uh, so you just laid down the vocal track. Yeah. The musicians weren't weren't there at all. Right. So yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And wow. the engineer, of course, and the engineer was Lawrence Horn. Okay, that's what that's a good. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So it started moving. Started moving. It was it was slow, but it started inching up, and it was like it was kind of exciting, because it you know it wasn't like Zoom. It was like boom. Every week it went up. Every week on Billboard, it was Billboard, Record World, Cashbox. And finally, I, rem I how I really knew that it was really a big, huge hit. I was doing a special in Toronto, Canada. And uh, I was in my dressing room. And uh, one of the production men came to my room and said, Miss, uh, knocked on the door, uh, Frida Payne, there's a call for you from the BBC in London in the, in, in the office. So I went and picked up the phone. And the first thing the guy said, Frida Payne, how does it feel to have a number one record 
in the UK. And I said, <laughs> really? <Wow. laughs> and I'm like, what? And he said, yes. He said, it's been number one here for a whole week already. And it, it remained that way for six whole weeks, by the way. Wow. And so I said, Fan, I said, well, I, I, I feel great. It's, that's fantastic news. And then he asked me another strange question. He said, oh, let me ask you this. Do you think that if Dinah Ross had recorded that song, it would be an even bigger hit? I said, if it was meant for Dinah Ross, Dinah Ross would have recorded it. I said, so I have no idea what it would have what would have happened. Yeah, why are you asking? Why are you asking me that? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, but people ask sort of off the I call them off the cuff. Yeah, they want to they want to uh, get uh, get a reaction. They're looking to get, yeah. get Oh, some by the way, I have to say, I like your George Floyd shirt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes believe it or not, I just uh, recently um, interviewed my nephew, who's the mayor of Minneapolis. Oh, my goodness. My nephew. How's that? So that's pretty. Oh, heavy. wow. Yes, yes, yes. So oh, wow. in honor. Yes. A hundred percent of honor. Mr. Floyd. Jeez. So, so. Uh, I this is this is a, a, a this is great, great, great information. I, I love hearing things like this. Did you start to promote? Did now you start to go out and promote the record? Not promote, um, you know, sing, obviously, start to oh, appear. Yeah. You were co constantly on the road, obviously, singing. Yeah, well, they would have me booked with on uh, different, like, rock, you know, R&B shows. Right. Uh, like St. Louis or Chicago and places like that, you know, maybe New York. With other artists of the day? With other artists of the day, yeah. Oh boy, sounds pretty cool. Sounds pretty. Do you? Are you? Any, did you become friends with anybody special on those on those uh, ventures? Uh well, we we were, you know, we you might say that some of them, you know, but uh, it it was like part of the it was part of the par for the course, you know. You just uh, I remember headlining the Apollo in Harlem. Okay, I headlined the Apollo. And this was, I think, right after, right, right after, I think, when Bring the Boys Home was being released. But Band of Gold had, was a, a bona fide hit. And my, the acts under me that were my, you know, the acts under me, oh, the OJs. Oh, boy. Okay. Edwin Starr. Edwin, oh, boy. You know, and I forget who else, but it was like, that's where I was at the time. I was right. the headliner. Right amazing really, really and then amazing. years later i was i was opening for the ojs <laughs> yeah okay that's i mean listen it's a trajectory and then, of, and, of in a the uk i got to, i worked with edwin star on the uk it was uh it was like a tour we had a, a, a that lasted two months and it was just me martha reeves and edwin star and edwin star was like the headliner and then martha reeves and me wow that's it was amazing. like they I think they build it as the Motown Magic or Motown Review or something like that. And I said to myself, I was never signed with Motown, but they they just but they were just determined to put me with Motown. I said, well, as long as Barry doesn't complain, I'm fine. Right, You're on. Right. Exactly. And he's never complained about that. Right. What was um what was your personal life back life back then? I mean, you were constantly working, constantly on the road from being a young girl, teenage 20s. Uh, yeah. and then, uh, what, what, what was it like? Um, now I'm not, I'm not asking, I'm not asking personal questions in terms of, you know, what went on. I, I'm, I'm asking more, what was it like, 
you know, uh, personally for you, you were really on your own, right? It was kind of in a way it was, it was, it wasn't as happy as I would have liked it to be. I was kind of, at times I was kind of miserable and other times I was just dealing with it. Like, Hey, you know, like they say, like they say, there's a price, you know, sometimes you think you look at people who are really doing good and making it and they're at the top of the mountain. You think, Oh my God, I wish I could be them. Don't ever wish that because you don't know what they're going through. No, you don't know how they're feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. How they're feeling, what they're going through. And, and I, I learned a lesson that, uh, Everything that glitters is not gold, for sure. Everything that glitters is not gold. And you don't get it for free. And there's a sacrifice for most success. You have sacrificed some. You have to sacrifice something. Absolutely. I couldn't couldn't say it better. You're 100% right. Uh, you know, youth is wasted on the young. You know that, right? I mean, as we yeah. get older, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, but if you make it through, let's say if you get, let's say if you get past thirty or or thirty five, and if you haven't learned anything by then, shame on you. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's fair. I'll I'll give you I'll give you that. So years go by. You're working. You're still constantly involved, whether it be in commercials, uh, music, uh, shows. You're, you're, you're keep, you keep on going. Uh, mm-hmm. You still have that jazz thing in the back of your, in the back of your yeah. catalog somewhere, huh? Yeah, and- I had, I kind of had to put it behind me for a while, for f- a few years. And that went on all through the 70s. And, uh, and then in the 80s, I, it kind of like still kind of went on, but I would, uh, you know, sneak in a song that I felt was acceptable. That was like a, a hit or something like that, that was being played a lot. I would do that. And um, so I didn't really get into my jazz chops again, uh, probably until uh, the nineties. And that, no, wait a minute. I, oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm forgetting about Duke Ellington's Sophisticated Ladies. Oh. And that definitely got me back to the jazz because I did my first uh, Duke Ellington's that was the, uh, it was a hit on Broadway. Yeah, the review. I remember the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I did it um, in 1982 and 83. It was like an eight month run, a sit down run in Las Vegas at the Desert Inn. And it was, it, the headline was, was um, Harold Nicholas, it was Paula Kelly, Harold Nicholas and me, the three of us, we were the headliners. And uh, I was definitely singing jazz then. For sure. You know, Duke Ellington's music. And then we did the A train. You know, we had the scat there, you know, the intermittent, intermittent scat, you know, between me and then, and then Harold and then, and then the sax would take eight and then we would take eight or 16 and go back and forth. So that's when I got, got my chance to get back into the jazz. And so it started back in the eighties and I wound up doing six different companies over a span of over 20 years of, of Duke Ellington's sophisticated ladies. Wow. Okay. So yeah. Got some longevity out of that. Now, you know, I forgot to mention, um, talk about you got, you had the jet magazine cover one time, right? 
I've been on Jet Magazine cover about six times. Okay, so I remember. So originally, several, I've done several, and I did the cover of Ebony Magazine. That's right. How did you get those? Just be uh, in terms because of uh, they like. Uh, hey, they liked me. <laughs> they did. They. I think so. I think so. How was that? Say, was it, that was that was that was interesting as well? Correct. The photos. Yeah, Jet Magazine. They were like they supported me. They looked, right big time. I mean, they started supporting me from the time. Uh, I was on a talent contest in New York. It was a national show called Ted Max Amateur Hour. I remember it. And, I remember when Ted, I was a kid, Ted Max. You remember that? Well, I remember yeah, of it. Yes. Yeah, so it was right yeah. in it was right around the time I was still young. You had but, to be a little kid. Right. Well, that was very little, yeah. That was like the equivalent of um, American Idol. Yeah, correct. correct. It was the talent show. And uh, they would audition people in different cities and they would, you know, book them and fly them into New York. Well, they flew me into New York with my mother and I did the show and I didn't win. I won second place. But because of that, Jet Magazine did a write up on me two weeks later. And I said, how in the world did they even know about me? And I felt so I was in awe of that, you know, and then um, about a year about four years later, I get on the cover of Jet. I, I, I won the cover. And that was because of the fact that uh, Quincy Jones uh, had embraced me. And I was singing with his big band on some shows. And I was on the cover based because of that. Wow. Amazing. Some, some, some career. Incre- incredible. Incredible. So you got your jazz chops back going. And... Um, you have a new record out, correct? I've got a new, it's an, well, I would say album, but there's only, it's like six cuts and it's an EP. Right, they but call it an EP, honey, right, the six right. cuts, I mean, you don't want to be, you know, you, you could care less about, you know, you ever take some CDs and it's like 12, 13, 14 songs and then it might be only one or two that you really like. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or three, You know, if, if that, sometimes it's one song. But uh, it's, I did four duets, four, it's all big band and strings. And it was recorded here in Hollywood at Capital Studio A, right? Yeah. Tell us what was that? What was that? Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I see, I was signed to to Capital back in the seventies. Right after I left Invictus, I got signed to Capital in 76. We, I did three albums on Capital. But anyway, and then Capital was our distributor when was distributor for Invictus. Oh, okay. But anyway, I also did a a jazz album that was uh, what was out in 2014, and it was on the Mac Avenue label, which is a jazz label, and uh, that was a wonderful album. Album it was produced by Bill Cunliffe and um, and Al Pryor. And so this being back in Capitol again was just another, it was a dream more so because I did the four duets and the duets, the reason why I say a dream, Johnny Mathis. Wow. I did a duet with Johnny. Right. They, uh, you did the Gershwin song with that, with Johnny I Mathis, did. They right? can't take that away from me, Normally. the Gershwin song. And then I did a duet with Kenny Lattimore. One of my favorites. Like, oh my God, he is such a, he's a, he's like, he is an R&B jazz pop artist. I would say R&B jazz. R&B, definitely, for sure. Kenny, is, uh, he has a honey voice. 
Yeah. And uh, we did Let There Be Love, which was like a, another standard. That and, that's the, and that's the name of the, the, the album, correct? And that's is the that title of, the, al of right. the album is Let There Be Love. And then I did a duet with Miss Dee Dee Bridgewater, uh -huh. who is one of the finest jazz singers around. And uh, we did uh, Moanin' and Doodlin'. Monin was uh, Bobby Timmons and John Hendricks. Oh, Bobby Timmons is, uh, yeah, oh, he could play. Um, yeah. Can I play a Bobby Timmons? Believe that I'm the morning, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. Because of all the trouble I've seen, yeah. And then we did, we did two songs together, almost like a, a short medley, and that was Doodlin', which is a Horace Silver composition. Oh, wow. Or silver, and the John Hendricks did the lyric, laid down the lyrics on that one, and then I did a duet with Kurt Elling, and he is oh, he is to me he is a premier male jazz vocalist. He is uh, he's won multiple Grammys in the jazz in the jazz field, and uh, I especially like the way he scats. So yeah, we amazing. did a duet. So the when did the album just is is out and it's it's available every anywhere you can anywhere. I mean you have you have your website as well, right? You I can know go you to my website. it's on my website, freetopain.com or I am free to pain, you know, dot com. And uh, you can purchase it on the website. You can go to Amazon, uh, Spotify, download, Pandora, all those different areas you can get it so. yeah we're going to put it in the descriptions below as well yeah and um what's coming up any gigs coming up now that things are opening well, up things what are, we got? right it's funny thing because i was talking about that with my agent today and she things are slow right now because some of the clubs that i normally would work are just still are closed like catalina bar and grill jazz club but they're starting to book and they're starting to book picking up like I think August, September. And so okay. we're looking at maybe October and uh, then there's vibrato. I don't know when they're going to start, you know, booking that's her Alpert's club. And then, Oh, I'm going to England, the UK this coming September and I'm doing something. And uh, by the way, that's not a jazz gig. That's an R&B oh, gig. Oh, really fantastic. Because <laughs> okay, I'm good, working with good. Shalimar. <laughs> oh, wow, really? Second time around. Yeah. Really? Second round? Wow, yeah, wow. so I'm going, you know, see, I, I work two genres. I work, Yeah. I still do that stuff. And then, but then mainly I mostly do uh, jazz. I actually did a jazz club last November, believe it or not. That's called the key in Baltimore, Maryland, the Keystone Corner. That was nice. It was three nights. They had 25% capacity. That's all they could have. And they streamed it for the three nights. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's yeah. real nice. Anything, I'm hoping you come to New York because I'll I'll be I'll definitely be there. Well, you know what? I was actually booked to play, I think was it Birdland? Mm -hmm. Birdland I was actually booked to play mm -hmm. Birdland last i think june of course you know it got can't of course that got yeah of course postponed put aside i'm sure so i'm back. looking to get you know rebooked back there absolutely so you're still you're still rocking and rolling you're still cranking yeah great a lot of energy i i love it i want to thank you so much for taking a little bit of your time i mean uh i'm just trying to think uh 
favorite artists from back in the day that you give me give me one of your favorite artists back in the day that you uh, knew and loved and cherished give us give us somebody well there's Ella Fitzgerald and I actually did you know I do a lot of I do a lot of tributes to Ella in my like nightclub shows and performing arts centers and I have also played Ella on the legitimate stage uh, in theater as Ella with other actors wow, and in costume. Yeah, I've done that. So I did a sh- I've done a show called Ella Fitzgerald, First Lady of Song. And I did it first time, it was in 2004 in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Uh, Maurice Hines directed it and choreographed it. Oh boy. And wow. Lee Summers did the book, wrote the book. And, um, and then I did it again in 2014 in Alexandria, Virginia at a regional theater called Metro Stage. These are all regional theaters. These are yeah. all equity, house, equity houses. Sure. And then I just did it in 2018 at uh, the Delaware Theater in Wilmington, Delaware. And uh, I always got rave reviews and I got a rave review in the Washington Post when I did Beautiful. it in Alexandria, Virginia. Beautiful. Amazing. Well, everybody, I mean, I'm, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. I still, you know, I, 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 I'm in awe and I even sang earlier on. The, on, on I sang with Frida Payne. This is a beautiful <laughs> thing. I, I, I can't get over it. I mean, you really uh, a wealth of information, a great story, uh, a, a career that is still budding. It's still going. Uh, her new album, uh, "Let There Be Love." I'm hoping to get it on 10 inch vinyl. I hope maybe I can meet yes, you one day. And you'll you'll like sign it for me. You'll sign it for me, maybe. Of course, of course. I, it was produced by Rodrigo Rios. He's a Brazilian young man, and his uh, he's only 40. Is he's still in his early 40s? And executive producer is James Michael Getz. Excellent, fantastic. I want to thank you once again. You look great, feel good. It was an absolute pleasure. And um, since you've been gone, right? Can you give us a little bit on the out? Can you give us a okay. little bit on the out? Now that you're gone, all that's left is a band of gold. All that's left of the dreams I hold is a band of gold and the memories of what love could be. If you were still here with me, you took me from the shelter of my mother. I had never known or loved any other. We kiss after taking vows. But that night on a honeymoon, we stayed in separate rooms. That's enough. <laughs> That's great. Fantastic. Frida, I love you. I wish you only the best. Stay well and uh, amazing. Really, Thank thanks you, for Thank I, you. I really appreciate it. I'll be in touch with you. I, I will, everybody, keep your eyes out for this one. This one is still a gem. Stores, please.